League of Women Voters and the Recording Library of West Texas present Tall City Elections. Here's your host, Michael Todd. Welcome to another episode of the Tall City Elections Podcasts. My name is Michael. This program is dedicated to providing information about the upcoming local elections as we make it accessible to our listeners who are visually impaired. The Tall City Elections 2021 podcast is a collaboration between the Recording Library of West Texas and the League of Women Voters. We want to thank all of our supporters for making this possible. With us today is Dustin Johnson, at-large candidate. Thank you for taking time to be with us today, Dustin. Thank you for having me on here. I, I really appreciate it. Before we get to um, issues-related questions, we've all been th- through so much in the last year and a half. Would you mind telling us how you and your family coped through such a difficult time? Um, it, it definitely was a very trying experience. Um I spent majority of 2020 uh, taking care of my grandma because in early 2020, my granddad, who I was uh, spending time with, he happened to pass away. So I had to step in and fill his shoes and take care of the, the property and stuff. And so my grandma could continue living in her in her house that she lived in for the last 20 years. And um, it definitely was, it was work. I'm a photographer with uh, Life Touch. Um, we go into the schools and do school pictures. Well, we couldn't, they weren't doing school and we couldn't go into the schools after they allowed us. And once they started opening back up, so it definitely was an issue there. And it was a very humbling and trying experience for sure. I could say for the last two years. Well, I'm sorry to hear, uh, about your grandfather, our, our condolences. And how is your grandmother doing? She's doing, she's doing great now. She, uh, she, she's had her, her moments, you know, where she's a little, she's down, and she was the first few months, but she's getting back out there with her girlfriends that she grew up with, and she's she's just enjoying her her time on this earth right now. Right. Well, that that's great to hear. And don't we all have our our moments, especially these days? Yes, sir. We sure do. Can you tell me what has uh, motivated you to make a run for city council? Shoot, last five six years, I've been going to city council meetings. And I've been trying to get. So I'm a huge supporter of the, the, the skateboarding and, and BMX here in local in the local area. I've been doing it for 20 years, and so the skate park here is my sanctuary. And I've been dealing with the, the parks and rec and city council for the last six years, going up there and talking before them, trying to get stuff changed. Dealing with parks directly when there's issues out there with lights or drains not working. You know, I send them a message and they're out there in the next week or so taking care of it. So I've been doing, you know, behind the scenes work, you know, helping what I can with the skate park. And we've also adopted it with through Keep Millen Beautiful's Adopt a Spot look, uh, uh, the program. Their Adopt a Spot program, we actually got to adopt the skate park and we take care of it, keep it clean. And um, after years of not getting much through the city council and parts of like, you know, shade, water, seating, I decided I looked into it, and there's a whole lot more in Midland that needs to be taken care of than just that area, such as like infrastructure, um, like the roads, the flooding issues we have, the mass transit system needs an overhaul. Um, there's just so much issues in Midland that need a fresh face, I guess you could say, you know, someone from the working middle class to give their input 
on what we need to be taking care of in the city. And so I decided to throw my name in the hat and give it a shot. Right on. And I want to get to some, uh, you know, us talk about in a little bit more detail, some of the infrastructure things that you've mentioned here in, in just a couple of minutes. But, but first, before the pandemic, um, you know, I never had thought about how many aspects of life would be affected. And, you know, we've seen like the effects with our hospital, first responders, MISD, the mayor's office, the city council, our economy, and not just the not just oil and gas, but but the retail and the hospitality industries, everything. So in regards to the city, how do you think that it's responded to the COVID crisis and what learning experiences do you see that we might can take from that that could be applied to more routine decisions that the city leaders regularly make? Uh, definitely the, the medical community here, huge hit from that. And um, there definitely, I mean, there was great communication about what was going on. I think they could have been they could have been a little bit more open with it with what's going on at the hospital, how many cases what's going on up there, um, how many actual deaths are from COVID, and not just someone who died and you know, happened to have it in the system still. Uh, as well as you know, there could have been more vaccination sites and um, better better testing could have been more testing out there from the medical community. Um, and like for those who like I myself got COVID and it was I spent more time trying to get cleared to go back to work than it was I was out with COVID because um I was feeling healthy but my my employer needed a return to work notice from the doctor and I couldn't get one because I was still testing positive whereas I had no fever. I was feeling back to hundred percent, but that little test, you know, was keeping me from work. And I know that had to happen to more than just myself here in the local community. And um, definitely need to have, get more, you know, we need more, we need more help here. Um, more medical, we need more, I guess you say doctors. Cause I was stuck having to go through the VA system. I was in the Navy and that's my primary care. Um, we had a little bit more health providers here in the basin that could definitely alleviate that. Yeah. I was going to ask about that kind of going from what you just said now, you know, has it, do you think that it's brought to light some, you know, more, more aware people of previously unknown issues insofar as healthcare in the Permian basin? Oh, definitely. It definitely showed that there is lots of whole, lots of things need to be fixed within the healthcare community. Um, we definitely need more staff. We need more nurses. We need, we need more doctors. We need more beds. We need more supplies. Because if it, if it would have got any worse, I mean, it could it could it could have been really catastrophic had it not had it not happened. What how everything played out, it could have definitely been worse. Um, well, and and another um, another aspect of it that I've I've been watching is um, the area of mental health, and just even before uh, COVID, uh, access to mental health care in Midland has been challenging because there there are few psychiatrists, and there's there are few affordable options for people who who need therapy. Um, I can't think of a way that the city council can take on this problem by itself, but. Uh, 
couldn't the council recognize this as a problem and maybe look for ways to facilitate solutions with the help of other entities? Uh, that is, that's a good one. Um, they're definitely, as for mental health, um, myself growing up, I dealt with ADHD and you know, my son has dyslexia and ADHD also. And so I know by, if you don't have insurance, it's, 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 it's almost impossible to find mental health care. And that's, that's a big problem because we need to be taking care of our community's mental health. Um, let's see, especially with everybody having been locked down and stuck quarantined the last couple of years, that's, that's, that's put a big hit on everybody's mental health. Um, and shoot, it might, it might not be, it might be a direct thing the city council could take care of, but it's something that we could get the ball rolling and partner up with some local doctor, local psychiatrist, local psychologist, the local mental health community, and we could possibly get something set up a, a weekend, uh, a, a cheaper, a cheap clinic or a, a heck, a free clinic if you can even do that. Find find doc practice uh, practitioners who'd be willing to volunteer their time. We could definitely get the ball rolling. Uh, we could see if we could find grants we could put into that. But mental health it has to be a big priority, and we have to we need to include everybody, not just the people who can afford it. And we have a lot of, of course, we have a lot of seniors who listen to us and. There's there have been lots of studies that have already been coming out since the pandemic um, about, you know, the the effect on the mental health of seniors that, you know, they're they're the the most vulnerable of society in terms of this disease. And they've been in lockdown. They've been in their homes. They haven't had that socialization that they're used to in many cases, can't see their grandkids or their friends and it's it's just an issue that it seems like we're going to have to face or it, it might not be a really good thing in the future. Right. It's one of those issues we're definitely going to have to face it head on. And it, honestly, it might not be pretty, but we're going to have to face that issue. And we have to, you know, limiting the, the seniors where they can't be around their family and keeping them uh, cooped up in, in nursing homes and healthcare facilities. That's not good for their well-being at all. My granddad spent the last six months of his life at Manor Park, and it was we couldn't go see him. And we had to go to the window and see him to the window. And I could see, because I, I grew up with my granddad, and I could just tell by looking at his face, you know, it was taking its toll on him being stuck in that facility where he couldn't come out, he couldn't see, couldn't see me, he couldn't go home to see his wife, like, I could definitely see it taking a toll on him from a from a personal point of view, and it wasn't. I didn't. I didn't like it. It, it really. It really upset me. And so we definitely need to do work on do something like that, where the we can't have it. I mean, we're we got to do something to where the elderly will still be able to see their family if they're in nursing homes or assisted living facilities. We can't keep them cooped up and locked away from their family. Right. Um, one question. I know I've spent a lot of time on COVID, but it's just been such a huge part of our existence lately. Um, in in your uh, October 2nd column in the Midland Reporter Telegram, you mentioned that city government should only have jurisdiction 
in their own buildings to enforce rules such as masking and that it should be left to the business owners to decide what is best for them. Governor Abbott has stated that under the Texas Disaster Act, he is banning business owners from issuing their own mask mandates. Should the governor have the power to tell business owners how they have to deal with masking on their own property, whether it's enforced masking or in this case, you cannot, under my ruling, force your customers and employees to mask? I completely disagree with Governor Abbott on that. And and honestly, I I don't think he's going to have my vote. Um, just my personal opinion. I don't like, I don't like how he's handled this COVID response. Um, you, I, you, we can't tell business owners that governor it wasn't the one who started the business. He didn't go file the paperwork, file the DBA to, to start whatever business is going on forever is out there with the business. So the governor definitely needs to keep his hands out of this. Like, if you started that business, it should be your right to tell your employees or your patrons coming in to mask up or not. And if you are the one that said, hey, I want you to have a mask, then you should have some disposable ones very readily available at the front door. But as for the uh, governor coming in and wanting to make it where you can't have mask, man- businesses can't do mask mandates like that, I think he needs to keep his hands out of that. And the same goes by the, 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 the city government. Whereas in that city hall, we should be able to vote on that, you know, for that building and the other, and other city buildings, government buildings, I guess. But not to be able to vote on and, and enforce a mask mandate on the local community. Thank you. We These have just been such hot, hot button issues that um, I felt like I needed to bring that up just to, because like I said, we're, we're just, this is kind of what we're in right now. Yeah, but, I totally understand. But I'm going to shift gears and actually I'm going to kind of go back in reverse and bring back up uh, seniors again. And in this case, okay. uh, the quality of life of seniors. And uh, like I'd mentioned before, because so many of our listeners are, are seniors. Um, many have low vision or no vision, which creates additional challenges to their day-to-day lives. One of, and you brought this up earlier, so this is your chance to really run with this. One of the biggest challenges for our listeners is public transportation. A couple of years ago, I could tell that my mother was starting to go through, you know, something, but she wouldn't let me come because of the pandemic, right? It was just like what you were were saying with seniors anyway. And and it was finally when a neighbor this year called me and said, Michael, you need to go to San Angelo and see your mom. And it was like, oh, her dementia had really gone, you know, she has Alzheimer's. Um, So a lot of these issues like this, or say, you know, with with the pandemic, or even before the pandemic with our listeners who, you know, who are seniors, um, have had frustrating experiences with public transportation in the Permian Basin. How would you improve transportation access to seniors and to those with visual disabilities in Midland to help them be more independent and do things like going to the grocery store, going to the doctor? Awesome. I'm glad you brought this up. This is one of my biggest, biggest topics I'm willing to run with right now because I have spent a good amount of time living in San Francisco and their public transit system is by far one, in my opinion, the best in the world. Um, I was there for about six months, and my buddy lived there for six years. And he didn't own a car until he left the city. 
you can walk out your door and hop on any bus, but it's going to be running. Like you can maybe walk to the corner if that, and you can use Google maps and it'll tell you hop on this bus to ride to this stop, hop on here, walk across the street, get on this bus, take this bus here and you can get anywhere you want in that city. And when you go through the parks and stuff and you see the, the senior, the senior community, out in the park playing checkers, you know, just having a good time, you know, because they're able to act, utilize the buses because they're readily available. They're not having to go out and wait for a half hour or more or walk. I don't know how far because how there's very limited numbers of buses and routes in Midland. So what, I th- what we need to do is like how we have like the big, the major roads, but it needs to be major bus routes. <laughs> And we need to have more than one bus on each one so that there's a, there's a bus coming through at least every, shoot, not even 10, I wouldn't say 10 minutes too far, too long almost. And then also have the smaller routes that go throughout the community that reach out to the outer lying areas towards the county. And that would, and you can have them, they would easily overlap each other. Whereas you can just walk out, hop on one of your buses right there, take it to the next stop and get on where you got to go. And the mobile, you can use your phone or just using the, having better, um, the bus stops, having them fully covered with actual maps broke down of where the routes go. as well as having out in San Francisco, they have devices where you can hit a button if you're visually impaired and it will tell you where you're at and what stop, when the next bus will be there. And they're very, very technologically advanced and there's, such a better system and i'm not i'm not sure where we could get the money for it because i know that easy rider i'm pretty sure it's, it's a it's a privately ran but i know they do get some funding from the state i'm not 100 i'm not sure what all funding they get but that definitely would like to start i'm, I'm looking into it right now actually um seeing where we could possibly pull funds from to put into that and even if we have to maybe even do another tax or something just to help support it, because if we have that going and you have where you can buy out in San Francisco, they have the Clipper card and you just put money on it. And if you're a senior, it gives you a discounted rate. If you're uh, military, you get a discounted rate for that. Um, and you just touch it and it automatically deducts however much it is. Seniors get free ride. Um, and so do uh, disabled veterans. Um, and that would get them out of their house, back out into public where they could enjoy enjoy their time. Um, a, a good friend of mine, um, her grandma moved from L.A. to here. And out there, they had a really good public transit system. But when she got here, she got to where she was homebound. She couldn't get out. And her, her um, quality of life really deteriorated, as you could tell. So we definitely need to get our mass transit system up to date. With as fast as Midland's growing, we need to get ahead of it before it's too late. That's very exciting to hear about some of those things that you talk about, especially the visual, the aids for those with visual impairments, the things that talk to you. Yes, sir. I didn't know what they were until I pressed the button and started talking. And I was like, yo, that's really cool. And they had to get <laughs> different languages as you know, it's a melting pot and Midland's growing. So, I mean, it definitely had to be more than just English and Spanish, you know, maybe a couple other languages. Right. And, um, and of course, in Braille for the blind. 
And we got to have the bus stops so they're out of the elements because, you you know, if you're sitting there in the hot summer, you don't want to be out there in 120 degrees. That's one of the and, things that um, we hear from our listeners is the <laughs> the unprotected yeah. bus stops. <clears throat> yep. And we also, they, the Easy Rider has a stop time. Public transit in big cities never stops. They don't have the same routes overnight, but they still have routes that run. And if we had to go in 24 hours, there are people that are getting off work late. You know, they don't drive. People getting out of the bars, the clubs, they can't. They shouldn't be driving. They can hop on the bus and get home. They would get the drunks off the road. Um, it would alleviate. Should definitely get less people off on the road because I know, heck, I'd use it. If I sit on the phone, I can read a book or read something on my phone and get going where I need to go and not have to worry about driving. Heck, I don't mind it. I'll do it. Right. Right, you can get, you can use the time and get more done. Exactly. I mean, I save my save my, my little car is a diesel, so I save fuel. If I'm just going <laughs> down to the down to go do something, I, I can just hop on the bus right there. Well, going. well, let me move on to another issue that is again related to seniors, and that's that's the senior centers. And I don't know if you've been to the senior centers. Many of them, you know, of course, they had to curtail activities because of the pandemic. But things are, you know, slowly kind of coming back online. And do you see this uh, an opportunity to look at how the senior centers are serving their guests and possibly incorporating some improvements and new ideas for those centers? I, I've actually, I've been to one and it was the one they did the, the meals on wheels. I've been to that, that center, mm-hmm. uh, but I can honestly say I haven't been to many of the other ones and I definitely know I need to, um, my know we definitely, uh, we could have some more cause I've grown up in Midland and I can't honestly tell you, I know there's one on the South side and there's one over by old Crespi Church on Midkiff in Illinois. But that's the only two I can think of. We need, need to have some more throughout the community so that the seniors are able to get out. And they can hop, Once we get the busing fixed, they can hop on the bus and go to their center where they're at and hang out with like-minded people, you know, and reminisce on the good old days, you know? Right, right. Okay, let's go to another hot-button issue. Infrastructure. Could we talk about the uh, streets, water, and sewer, and where you see them now? How we make improvements, what we might do, and then and then how we pay for those. Okay, um, they definitely are. I mean, they say they're doing it ahead of time and on track, but I don't see it. Um, they're having to redo roads. <laughs> Tear them up and go back and redo them over and over again. That's a waste of money. It should be, be done one. It should be done one time, one and done. Why? Why are they um, having to do that? Because they'll they'll they they they'll find so they they'll dig up. I know for sure. I got live uh, Louisiana and Michigan. They've gone in, repaved them, tore them back up, dug up some more uh, sewage lines or water lines, and redid them again and repaved it. I know it's, it's probably happened about three or four times. They've gone in and unpaid, retore up and repaved those roads. <laughs> and it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be doing that's a waste of money. And then we got the uh, Thomason. It's been under construction for a good while. And most of the time you go over there and you have people working. It's, been, it's because 
they have the the company that's doing it and so it's spread thin they're having to balance crews from one job to the other before they can finish the job and that's not how you that's not that's not how you get things done you don't leave a job half done and come back to it because then it's going to be messed up more and you come back and do some more work on it we need to bring in more crew i mean we can't i mean if, we, if that one company who's doing all the work can't cover it all we need to bring in other companies that can have other crews and spread that workload out so that the crew can stay on a project until it's completed not bounce around and leave a street half a half tore up where you can't trying to find a way around town around Thompson area has been a nightmare lately because you know you don't know which streets exit out onto Thompson which ones are closed so you're going up and down streets trying to find a road a way to get out and it's been like that for a while and definitely is going at snail's pace in my opinion um we need to be smarter with it um we shouldn't be doing projects multiple times. We should be going in, doing the engineering into it, seeing what all needs to be fixed so that we can go in, fix what's got to be done, fix the plumbing, fix the sewage line, fix the gas line, fix the water line, repave it. If you don't do pavement, do concrete. Concrete lasts a whole lot longer than asphalt does. And especially with the traffic we have nowadays, we should definitely be looking to do a more concrete streets instead of asphalt streets. That'd be more, that'd be definitely more a cost efficient way method. It would be, it would be more in the short term and last longer in the long run. Yes. Um, you mentioned earlier that the city says that things are running on time with some of these projects. And you said that you don't see that. Uh, are, are you saying that, do you think the city is not being transparent, totally transparent about these projects? I mean, I wouldn't say they're not being transparent, but I'm, I'm not a hundred percent because they, they could, they could very well be on time. It's just, they're going extremely slow from someone who has years of construction and, background you know i it definitely shouldn't be taken there as long as half these projects and so i mean it, it might be it's on ahead of time but it could definitely be, be it could definitely be getting done quicker i guess that's if they're being transparent and they're not full of it <laughs> <laughs> see what you're saying but you ask anybody everybody i've asked about that like i'm asking what do you think about them being saying they're on time oh they're full of crap they're not on time like like I can't. I haven't, I haven't met a single person that has agreed with that statement. And it's like, well, where are they getting this from? You know, if they're really on time, could it be done faster? <laughs> right, right. Um, moving on to something else, which is another thing you mentioned a little bit uh, early on, which uh, I think you'll enjoy talking about. In the MRT, you touch on ideas to improve the parks. And you'd mentioned that you and you mentioned this before, and I think a little bit when we started talking, but in the article in your column, you said that you helped with the process of getting bids for concrete benches and a water filling station. Could you tell us about that process and what led you to initiate that? Um, it's been years and years and years of work. Um, <laughs> I have I've spent my my almost my entire childhood. That park opened in two thousand and four and I was going there before it opened. <laughs> um, 
So I've, I've been going there longer than that place been open. Uh, I've raised money for the place. Um, how, when I was a kid, we helped raise money for the lights out there. So I've have, I have decades of, you know, community involvement with this park. And after I came home from the Navy, the, the park had really just gone into total disrepair. Like the, the skate scene died off. We all got old, got, got married, moved off. And so like the park was forgotten about. And, you know, we have the concrete chipping everywhere. And so there were just lots of, lots of bad issues. Drains weren't working. So I started going to city council meetings, you know, just saying, hey, this is going on. Can we, can we get something done? And, you know, never got anywhere. You know, I always got told, well, thanks for coming, man. You know, we appreciate you coming. I would just go and talk in the general comment section of the meetings. And after going up there years, I finally worked they got with uh miss kimberly Chris, who was running for council and we took a bunch of pictures we got other parents we take kids out there and we went up there to city council with all this you know pictures of damage stuff needs to be fixed i think we had uh, one of those laser thermometers showing how hot the concrete was and like this was in like shoot september not even in the, in the peak <laughs> and it was still super hot and lights constantly going out. The park's always being full of water and trash. And, you know, the city would just kept giving us a cold shoulder. And um, I just finally, once I saw, you know, the at-large was coming up. And, uh, oh, she was talking about the concrete benches. Oh, well, I've been working. <laughs> she doesn't have to get going on the rim. But I can start talking about 10. Like, okay, the concrete bench in the water station we've been trying to get the seating and the water out there for a big amount of time. Cause there's no, if you go out there, there's nowhere to sit for the parents that are there to watch their kids. There's no water fountain, no water station or anything. But if you go 15 feet away, they built a dog park and they put in a dog water station. Like they closed the sidewalk going through the park to run a water line to give dogs water and couldn't put a tea up to give us water. So that kind of made me mad. Um, and then we've been pushing the, you know, just pushing it and pushing it. Every time we go to the city council, you know, Hey, can we get this? Can we get this? And just asking the same thing over and over. And I've always, I've been in communication with the parks director. You know, if we have lights out now I can text and say, this is going on and they'll reply back, you know, we'll have a crew out there and in a few days they'll be fixed. So it's definitely, it has definitely been a good, good working with the parks about getting everything taken care of. They have, the parks has, they can't really do much big spending on stuff, but the little things like lights and stuff, they definitely have been able to assist with that. The city staff and crews have been very responsive. Yes. It's just, we're trying to, you know, get some shading and that park's 20 years old and the community has over doubled. So it's extremely crowded and there's a bunch of room around it. And if they're redoing all the other parks, they could definitely, you know, add on to this place. And that was, that was one of the big issues we were just trying to push for. And that's one of my, that was one of my final kickovers to run with, Hey, I'm going to get something. We, I got to run. <laughs> right. And, and it's so um, do you think that like 
just using what you were saying, like with the dog park, do you think that it was sort of something in the way that the the city leaders were looking at the lifestyle and culture of dog owners as opposed to the lifestyle and culture of skaters? And they kind of put that into like a, a less than category? Oh, 100%. And it's been like that since I was a kid. <laughs> I've grown to accept it. Um, but that's, that's, that's a hundred percent. You hit that, you, you hit that nail around the head. Like that's exactly what it is. Like they gave the dog owners or, you know, how many times or like we thought about going over there at night and digging up it. Cause they have just little park benches they mentioned all around the dog park. They don't get used. And we're like, yo, we can take a shovel and a bag of concrete and go confiscate one and move it to this side of the fence. And we got it somewhere to sit. And like they built them a huge, massive gazebo to sit under, and then they turned around and built the new playground right next to the skate park, and put this nice shade thing to sit under. And it's just a, it's a slap in the face because I mean it's not that it's just a skate park; it's a memorial skate park for two kids who were ran over and passed away. Like, I feel it's just a skate park. That's one thing, but the fact that there's a two young boys names attached to that part makes it special right people who say that well parks are nice but we don't want to spend a lot of money on on them or keeping them up or improving them then is there another idea in terms of figuring out a way to make things like this happen where it isn't just the taxpayers alone well they just put 50 million at hogan park and a good chunk of that is coming from the Hotel Motel Fund mm -hmm. because they can prove that it pulls in people from out of town. Well, so does the skate park. Over the years, I have seen so many pro teams out there. It's not even, it's not even crazy. I mean, it's not even, I mean, and like on the 30th, we're having a contest out there for one of our friends who passed away and to raise money for his family. And there's people coming from all over the state. Um I mean, it, it, that, that park brings in a whole lot of people. Um, Nitro Circus will be here in a few weeks. It's their second time coming. When they're here, they'll be out at that park for a whole week, tearing it up. Like, And that brings in tons of people from out of town. Um, these small communities, people travel here to, to ride that place. And so we can definitely utilize the Hotel Motel Fund for that. You know they haven't they haven't they haven't seen the need to do it I guess because like you said that we're the we're the counterculture they look down on us we're we're, we're lower. <laughs> well, it, but you brought up a good point just now that leads into my next question, and maybe you can expand on that because I think you're kind of answering the question already, but you might have more to say about it. Uh, and okay. this is about how last month Southwest announced they're resuming nonstop flights to and from Austin. Um, for those, like you say, these out-of-town people that are coming in, what improvements to the economy and quality of life do you see resulting from the flights coming back? Oh, that's definitely going to bring more people. Um, Austin has one of the best parks to go ride and skate in the whole in the country, House Park. And I, I've still me and my friends travel and fly there just for that. I know it's going to be an opposite coming back this way because it was last month. There was a bunch of pro riders that came from Austin 
And um, I know if they could have flown, it probably would have been a little bit easier for them. So that's definitely, bringing the flights back is definitely going to help us because it will bring in more people here. Uh, do you, um, you know, whereas the airport is concerned, um, you know, it took years for all the different entities to talk with Southwest and to, you know, resuming the flights to and from Austin. Are there any other uh, airlines or cities that you think would uh, it would be a benefit for everyone if they could come in and serve the airport? Um, I think we have we have direct flights to Vegas already. We have Denver. Um, trying to think of all the direct flights we have right now. Go to it's the um, Dallas Houston. <laughs> yeah, Dallas Houston. Um, I've flown to, I've flown from Phoenix here. Um, shoot, I mean, extend it out further west. We we Houston have direct flights to California. Right. I mean, we have it pretty good. Uh, in so far as like a, a West Texas city, in so far as our. Our connections with flights, um, I mean, my first hometown is San Angelo, which, you know, it has very limited, uh, you know, access. But um, Midland, right. Midland, Odessa has has a pretty good connection. But I just wanted to throw that question out there off the spur of the moment. Um, so what are you hearing from Midlanders right now and uh, what are their concerns? Um, the biggest thing I'm hearing is infrastructure. And, um, that, that is a big issue. Another big one is parks and green spaces. Um, the same way with Vista obviously is a big issue right now. And that I, I can actually, that place is beautiful. Um, definitely need to save that place. Um, that's the two big issues right now that's come to me. The, oh, and the tax increase. Those are the three big, the three top big, three top issues is the tax increase the um, infrastructure and the parks and green spaces. What would you say to the voters as to why they should vote for you? I would say vote for me because I'm not a politician. I'm not a business owner. I can't go drop, shoot 16 grand on billboards if I want to. I don't even have signs out there because my, my phone, my campaign phone has 20 bucks in it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm the regular guy. I am the working middle class who I want to make Midland better for, for, for the community and not just the working middle class, not just for the rich, not just for the super lower class. I want to make Midland better for everybody and for the future. And I know I can be the change that starts that because Midland has been a long time ran by politicians and this wealthy business owners. That's been like one. That's whenever I, that time I was running. They're like, why are you running? You don't. How how can you run? You don't own a business or anything. You know, it's not. It's a non-paying job. Well, someone's got to speak for the lower, the middle class, and the the low man on the tel- the low, low man on the totem pole. And I feel I could definitely be that. Because I might not know the fancy terms for all the tax programs and the planning and zoning. I might not know all that odds and ends. But I, I'm I'm ready to learn it so I can make my community better. That's awesome. And then finally, a fun question to end to end everything on. Um, and I'm, I'm you've mentioned some of these I think already, but I'm going to ask it. What are some of your favorite things to do in Midland? Oh man, some of my favorite things to do in Midland 
is i mean obviously skateboard do bmx been doing that forever um i love going to the nature preserve um let's see i spend a lot of time in the gym uh <laughs> let's see so my favorite things to do in midland i, I spend a one of my new favorite places to go is centennial plaza centennial park and it really breaks my heart to tell me i can't ride my bike through there every time i go there so I will definitely be changing that if I get elected because I love that park and I hate that I can't ride my bicycle through there. It's just so beautiful. What else do I like to do in Milan? Um, the food's not bad. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a photographer by trade and I've taken some of the most beautiful sunset pictures out here. Like I love taking pictures. You can't, um, you can't beat a West Texas sunset. You sure can, but I can honestly say California one's pretty close. Oh. <laughs> Something about the ocean, man. Something about the ocean. But That's... you can't be the West Texas one. Um I just love I just love being out. I just love being here, really. I just love the, the community. It's, it's a small town, but but not really. Um shoot, it's just I yeah, I just love riding my bike and skateboarding and being involved with the community that way, I've taught so many of the younger generation how to skate. I'll come, I'll, I'll get anywhere. It's happened multiple times a day. And I'll have some random trainer come up to me and they're like, hey, man, how's it going? And then they'll be talking. Like, hey, he taught me how to skate years ago. And I'm like, oh, man. Like, you know, I might not remember the person, but I, mean, I made a big enough impact on their life, you know, that they remember me years down the road. And that's my favorite thing to do is, is like giving back in that aspect, you know, because I'm getting old, so I'd rather just coach on the next generation. Well, awesome. Well, we appreciate you being with us today uh, and and spending a little bit of time talking with us. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. I started, I got started rambling and just started talking, man. No worries. That's what it's all about. It's just kind of hanging out and talking. So, uh, Dustin Johnson, at-large candidate for Midland City Council, thank you very much. Oh, I, have a, I have one more thing. Yes. Um, for those who aren't registered to vote, I am having a voter registration drive this weekend because I can. I'm a deputy registrar, so if they want to come out to the William and Sam Memorial Park at Bill, I will be out there on Saturday from noon to six doing a shred the ballot box voter registration drive. So come on out and get you signed up to vote and meet me in person and see what you see. Answer any questions you got. Thanks a lot, man. You're welcome, man. Tall City Elections is a nonpartisan and unbiased community project of the League of Women Voters of Midland and the Recording Library of West Texas. The League of Women Voters and the Recording Library do not endorse, support, or oppose any candidates for office or political party. All candidates for office are invited to participate in this project. <laughs>